Spark Media presents Cosmic Creatures by Jason Kent Nord. Performed for you by Adam Anagnostu, Mike Kelly, John Yonker, and Luke Langfeld. Sound design by Dan Steffens. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the episode notes for more detailed descriptions. And now, episode one, God Particles. Dad pulls into the parking lot of his second favorite liquor store, and the old pickup's engine shudders to a halt. Without a word, he hops out and heaves the stubborn door shut, leaving me alone in the passenger seat. It's another Friday, another payday. With a few minutes to kill and needing a distraction from the passing eyeballs of other freshly paid drinkers, I reach into the backpack on my lap and pull out the new physics book I got last weekend. It was pretty expensive putting a hefty dent into the dwindling funds I've made this summer. For the past three years, Dad and I have lied about my age so I could get jobs. For two summers, I worked for a lawn mowing company that paid in cash and didn't ask many questions. Then this summer, or part of it anyway, I worked as a yard attendant at an equipment supply place. Dad worked there too. When he got fired, so did my ride. Anyway, I had to quit. Admiring the cover, I note, printed at the bottom, the reason it was worth the hit to my measly earnings. Elliot Hagen, PhD. Dr. Hagen is Nick's dad. He's probably the smartest guy I know, so obviously I had to check out his book. I didn't tell Nick I bought it. I know he'd think it's weird. Not just because it's his dad's book, but because it's a physics textbook. The Hagens live next door, and Nick is my only real friend. Well, at least I consider him my friend. I can only hope he'd call me a friend, but maybe he wouldn't admit it to anyone. On weekends, Nick and I often run into each other in the woods or under a secluded subdivision. It's a sparse subdivision a few miles outside of Portman. There aren't any other kids our age among the neighbors, so maybe from his perspective it's only a friendship by default. It's fine, though, because I love living here nestled in a blanket of Washington's trademark forests and, and rocky outcroppings. The caves are my favorite spots. Nick and I hang out in them, explore the forest, and create little challenges for ourselves, like uh, running obstacle courses of, of boulders and fallen trees. Nick is, is far more athletic than me, but I, I do okay. And it's good for me to get outside my own head and be more social. At least, that's what Dad always says but he doesn't talk much either. I bet he would if it hadn't happened. He used to be a manager at the paper mill before, but now he can barely manage to stay employed. But beyond just the job, the biggest change is in his eyes. They never light up. It's as if no one's home half the time, but he tries. I know he does. Anyway, I flip the book open to where I left off. Most of it has been pretty dry even for me. But at the end of study hall, I had just gotten to a really interesting section introducing a Higgs field avoidance theory. I already know what Higgs boson particles are, they're what give things mass. They're theorized to exist within a, a pervasive field like a veil draped across the universe. Without these particles, nothing would take physical, solid form. Nothing. The universe would consist only of light, waves, and vibrations. Imagine that. Crazy. How would, or, or could, we exist without any mass? In what form? 
Would we be uh, amalgamations of particles dancing in a wave of light and color? Is that what souls are? Did I break free from this field for the 15 minutes that I was dead? So many questions, and questions that I, I wish at least some of my classmates cared about. It's a shame. I, I mean, mankind built a massive machine in a tunnel beneath the border of France and Switzerland to smash particles into each other. That's where scientists at CERN's Large Hadron Collider confirmed the existence of the Higgs particle. The fact that mankind can theorize, measure, and interact with the universe's god-level infrastructure is incredible. Why isn't that cooler than football? It's kind of funny that the media, in trying to get people to care about the discovery of the Higgs boson, took to referring to them as god particles. I guess that's a cool name, but it's pretty ironic, since scientific discoveries tend to uncover physical explanations for what people could only previously attribute to God. I don't think physicists appreciated the media naming these particles for God instead of the scientists who theorized them. I've got my own complicated relationship with science and God. If death was just an escape from the Higgs field, it doesn't explain the angel. And science didn't take my mom away. I'd rather think about science than God. And now this illustration of Higgs avoidance theory has my mind humming. It shows the Higgs field as a grid of wavy lines. Arrows penetrate the gaps in the grid to depict the avoidance idea that streams of other particles could squeeze through those gaps. The wavy lines of the grid make sense because they imply that the field isn't stagnant. After all, the universe is expanding. It makes sense that the field would have a frequency. The straight lines of the penetrating arrow bother me, though. The arrows should be waves as well. Their frequency would have to match the field. It must have been an oversight. I cannot imagine Dr. Hagen would see it this way. Still, it's fascinating. But I can't focus now and shut the book. Advanced quantum physics is a rather bland title, but it, it makes sense for a university textbook. I wonder what titles I will write if I ever get the opportunity. Cosmic Infrastructure by Kale Rhodes would be cool, or maybe the, the Universal Design. Sure, great titles, Kale, but what opportunities will I ever have? There's no way we can afford college. I mean, maybe I can get a scholarship, being so blessed and all with freakish intelligence, but I need help with that. Our school guidance counselor doubles as the shop teacher. He can get guys jobs with the lumber companies, but I, I doubt he'll be much help to me. I'm just glad I don't have to think about it for another year or two. For now, I only have to suffer being an uber nerd for a little under three more years. Unless I skip another grade. At 14, I'm already the youngest sophomore. Dad probably won't let me skip another grade anyway. He keeps trying to sell me on how important the high school years are socially. But Dad just doesn't get it. Doesn't get me. I mean, he had a great in high school. He played football, got invited to all the parties, went to every school dance with my mom. The whole deal. His experience couldn't be further from my reality. Sometimes I wish I could swap dads with Nick. <laughs> but that wouldn't be fair to Dad. I look through the cracked windshield at the liquor store. In its grimy window, littered with neon beer signs, I watch the clerk ringing up whatever Dad got this time. 
I don't know the clerk's name, but I, I nicknamed him Gus a while back. He looks like a Gus. Grumpy, rugged, mid-sixties, and probably uses his employee discount a lot. I don't think Dad knows his name either. They never chat. Dad just gets his beer and whatever snacks he has spare change for. Gus gives Dad the total. Dad starts patting his pockets for more than he has in his hand. He tosses something from his pile to the side. Gus shakes his head. You work at a dumpy liquor store, Gus. You have no right to get all condescending. Dad swings the liquor store door open and approaches. I see him sigh and brace for my presence. He always does that. It's like he has to muster up a front where he's a little less flawed when he's around me. I don't know why. For all his troubles, he's still more normal than me. I don't have football buddies, a girlfriend, or even a normal brain. The pickup door squeaks open and shuts with a heavy clunk. Dinner, he mutters, tossing me a bag of trail mix. He tucks the case of cheap beer on the floorboard behind his legs. He doesn't want to talk about it, and I won't make him. The nuts, raisins, and chocolate candies will get me by again. I glance down at the case of beer and wonder what it is about beer that grabs hold of people. I, I mean, I know what it is, but how good is it really? Dad always savors that first swig, and soon he guzzles it like he can't find whatever joy that first taste provided. I catch his eye as he looks to me, as if he wants him, or, or me, to say something, but I just look away at the passenger side window. We pull out of the parking lot and head out of town on Death Road. I suppose it's scenic and pleasant enough to most people who know it as Route 5. It meanders down through the forested valley, stretching past our subdivision and beyond, but to me, it's a familiar, dreaded trek. In the morning, it means I'm headed to school, not a place I enjoy. On the way home, it, it means we pass the spot. I was only a toddler when it happened, but it's burned into my memories. Shreds of it, at least. I hear my father laughing heartily at some story he'd been telling. I still see my mom's sweet and loving gaze into his delighted eyes. And then there's the huge, haunting deer frozen in the shine of our headlights. Its eyes pinned right on mine as if to apologize for what was about to happen. Blinking back to reality, I swallow hard. Here it comes. The billboard. The gravestone of my life's original trajectory. Quite fittingly, it's in total disrepair in the faded advertisement for our subdivision. Forest Edge Estates. Wildlife awaits. It's faded into oblivion. Dad and I always go silent here. Not that we ever talk much anyway. It's in another quarter mile. He'll try to engage me as if duty-bound to distract us from the sadness this spot summons. I've read a lot about near-death experiences and, and firmly believe that the accident in those, those 15 minutes before they revived me turned me into a freak. Young children who have such experiences have a statistically significant increased chance of being gifted in music, math, and science. I got the science and math, not the music. Most scientists scoff at the study of near-death experiences. Except, of course, the ones who became scientists because they had one. Like others, mine was an out-of-body experience where I floated above the scene. I saw the blood-stained pavement, the deer carcass, smashed-up car, and the billboard strobed in red and blue lights. I saw a trooper cover my mom's mangled body with a sheet. I saw the paramedic kneeling 
by my small little body, I saw Dad sitting there in a state of shock, with only cuts and bruises. Then the angel appeared at my side, like a, a full-on, glowing white, equipped with wings, angel. I don't remember her face, but she pointed me to the stars. The little white dots swirled and swelled. There was a light or tunnel that I can't really describe. I don't know how I know, but I know we moved far, far away. Maybe it was another dimension? Being there was like drifting in the Aurora Borealis. Mom was there. She smiled and hugged me. I don't think words were spoken. If there were, I've forgotten. There was another angel with my mom. After the embrace, he led her away, like he simply turned her and they faded away. Suddenly, I was on the move again with my heavenly kidnapper. We zipped through space until we reached this, this strange and beautiful planet that rushed up to meet us. Colorful plants sprouted like rainbows, birds glided with wings that moved like ocean waves, and a pink fox with an anteater's snout glanced up at me as if to say hello. I hate thinking about it. I hate how it lingers in my memories. I hate analyzing the why of it. And I hate how I hate it all. For some reason, God took my mom, traumatized my dad for life, and made me a freak. And in the midst of it all, decided to show me this magnificent, awe-inspiring planet filled with wondrous fauna, wildlife, and terrain. Why? Why? hate it. How was school? There's dad, breaking the silence on cue. Same, I reply, still looking out the window. Silence falls over us once more. Just another gem, disconnected between us. Another pop quiz. I don't know why Miss White thinks she surprises us when we get them every Monday. It's easy for me, as they always are, but I try to go through it slowly so as to not draw any attention. I draw too much of it, thanks to Miss White. She loves class participation, and always asks questions when she lectures. I never raise my hand, even though I've known the answer to every question she ever asks. That doesn't stop her from calling on me when nobody else volunteers. And it being physics class, few ever do. Only Kayla and sometimes Nick, for the most part. I know Justin, the class ass clown, is the desk behind me and trying to cheat. I feel the burning gaze on my back. Sometimes Miss White collects the quizzes, sometimes we go over them as a class. I notice that when I cover up my answers, the Neanderthal finds a way to chop me down later with some stupid comment. When I give him access, he seems to lay off, especially if the quiz is collected. Today, I cover up. Screw him. Okay, let's go over it. Correct your own. Miss White announces to an audible sigh of relief from nearly everyone in the class. Number one. What is the range of human hearing? Anyone? Kayla raises her hand. Kayla. 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz? Good. Number two. What is the speed in miles per hour of a sound wave at zero degrees Fahrenheit? Damn. No takers. I can feel it coming as Miss White's gaze moves reflexively in my direction. Kale? Nerd, Justin chirps in my ear. I lean forward as if to get away, but it just makes me feel more insecure to sit so hunched over. 
Justin, this is your only warning, admonishes Miss White. I look down at my answer. 717 miles per hour. Well, it's actually 716.42, but she rounded it when she taught it. Today, though, I refuse to be the nerd with all the answers. Uh, um, it's 724? I lie, trying to convey doubt and hoping she'll just tell me I'm wrong. Annoyingly, I can hear a couple of kids grunt in frustration, now believing that their correct answers are wrong. Miss White blinks at me for a second, looking confused, and double-checks her book. She furrows her brow. Is the book wrong again? She mutters. I have 717. Really? Can't I just be wrong like everyone else for a change? My hand goes to rub my brow. It's a big mistake, as it allows Justin to lean over and get a clear look at my paper. Oh my god, Justin narks. That's what he's got written. 717. He follows up with a scoff. Real smooth there, Wizenator. Others snicker along. Even Kayla gives me that what-a-dork look. And that's detention, Justin. Miss White claps. But Justin doesn't seem to mind. He's too proud of his shining moment. I glance over at Nick and grimace. He doesn't say anything, but offers a sympathetic half-grin. Number three. What is echolocation? Miss White resumes, trying to restore order. Nick blurts out, The space between Justin's ears! The class laughs, and I break into a rare smile. Even Miss White has a hard time concealing one. Nick, that's enough. Miss White dutifully but softly reprimands. I glance appreciatively at Nick. He smiles and then directs a defiant smirk at Justin, who doesn't take it well. After class, Justin waits for me in the hallway. Thankfully, Nick is by my side. Nick plays basketball and is a shoe-in for Homecoming King when we're seniors. Justin is a punk loser who will peak in high school. Justin gives me frequent bumps and shoves, but he won't mess with me when Nick is around. There's a social order at work. I just wish we always hung out between classes, but Nick has his buddies and actual girls to hang out with. Real funny there, prick. Justin gently digs at Nick. Someone with the nerd today? His real target is me, but honestly, I don't care that much. It's noise. It's not going to go away, but it won't kill me. Beyond high school, he'll always be the loser. Nerds tend to fare better. Stop being an ass, Nick says, waving Justin off. I stick with Nick, walking down the hall. Gaining our distance from Justin, I offer. Thanks, Nick. Don't mention it, buddy. I'll catch you. His arm is snatched from behind, and an all-too-familiar voice interrupts us. Nick, tell Mom I've got service club today. She can pick me up at 4.30. My heart rate surges, and I know who it is before I even turn to gaze at Nick's pretty sister, Ellie. I feel my insights go jelly and my rational brain turn off. What do I say? Nothing weird. Nothing weird. Maybe nothing. Nothing is safe. I hate this feeling like I'm a deer in her headlights. Both the freezing up part and in the death road sense of an impending impact that will surely punish me for enjoying the moment. Do I wait and finish my conversation with Nick? Should I at least say hi? Too intimidated, I amble on a few steps while holding sight of Ellie for just a moment longer. And then I suffer another collision. I turn to see who I've lumbered into. It's Kayla. Hey, watch it, Kayla. She scolds. Sorry, I mutter, stepping around her. I glance back at Ellie and Nick one last time. Ellie smiles at me. It's a soft, wry smile that's filled with both amusement and pity. Busted. 
I slink away, cheeks and neck burning. Such an idiot. Dad and I occupy the same living room, but we're worlds apart. He's in his recliner, beer in hand, watching a college football game. On the couch, I've got my notebook handy, the latest of dozens of journals, and I'm noodling over the Higgs avoidance theory. I've read a couple of the published journal articles and white papers from the scientists working at CERN from when they confirmed the discovery of the Higgs boson particle. The frequency is the key, I'm sure of it. I wonder about what assumptions might affect the... What you got there, son? Dad says, breaking my concentration. I sigh, knowing he's trying to show interest. Um, some equations I've been thinking about, I reply. I don't really mean to be so vague, but there are probably only a handful of people in the country who would really understand and enjoy the details. It's not something I feel arrogant about. It's frustrating more than anything. Huh, he acknowledges. Equations about what? Is that your trigonometry or something? No, it's not for school. You really don't like football, do you? He jokes. I grin, because it's true. It's a rarity for us to smile, and it feels a bit strange. I guess my laugh lines are almost non-existent. It's like my smiling muscles are undeveloped. Tell me about it, Dad prods earnestly, turning down the TV volume a bit. My smile fades as I seek a way to explain it that would make sense. It's Higgs particle frequencies, I start. I appreciate his effort to take an interest in what I'm doing, but it feels hopeless to say much more. Crap. How do I explain it in a way that he might care? Um, there are these god particles that give things mass. Oof. Invoking the populist god particles descriptor feels like a betrayal. Scientists proved their existence in 2012, and I saw a theory about it. I've exhausted the general overview and now face providing details which means I have to talk over his head or blatantly talk down to him. I don't want to be condescending or anything. That's it. I give up. It's kind of hard to explain. Dad's eyes linger on me. Seeking a way to respond, he settles for, Huh. Sounds cool. Good for you. I can tell he feels shut down, but I don't know how to engage him on this any longer, so I offer, We winning? This is the first game, he informs. Ours is next. And with that, he returns to the game and I to my notebook. I feel bad again, but what can I do? Guess it would be like if he were a, a great football coach, known for intricate offensive and defensive schemes, and he went to dinner with someone who rarely watches sports. Like me. With a cursory awareness, that person might ask a conversational question, like, is it better to throw the ball or give it to the running guy? How could he engage them without bombarding them with unwanted details or being politely dismissive? Sometimes there's just no opportunity for a mutually enriching exchange on the topics people most enjoy. It's frustrating. Maybe you should check out Cross Country, Dad suggests, not looking away from the TV. He gave up on suggesting contact sports in middle school, but he seems to have forgotten that we talked about this particular one a month ago. He must have been drunker than I realized that night. I'm not very fast, I reply. In gym, I'm always near the middle of the pack. And that's exactly where I want to be. It's great you're a smart kid, Kale, but you gotta get out and get active, you know? Seeing as he's already chatty and has several hours of beer and football in front of him, I think now is a good time to head outside. Maybe it'll cheer him up. I'm actually meeting Nick soon. We'll probably throw a ball around. 
that's not what we ever do, but he doesn't know that. He smiles dimly. It's a shame that big smiles and laughter from him only exist in my distant memories. As I leave the room, he calls, Let's eat at five. I glance back and see him sitting alone in that recliner. He seems to sink further into it each day, all by himself. A pang of guilt surges through me for leaving him. But I can't solve all his issues for him. He's gotta know. I'm trying to. I love this place. Nothing beats soaking in the sights, sounds, and aura of the woods while perched in the sun above the cave opening. The warmth of the sun radiates down on me from above, and a stream of cool air seeps up from the cave below. More than once I've fallen asleep here only to be woken up by raindrops and forced to wait out a storm in the cave. It's kind of a cool place to hang out, actually. Would have made a nice home for a caveman family. Of course, there was also that time when I woke up, startled by a bad dream, and... I fell and broke my leg. Dad was pissed. I didn't need surgery, but the medical bills were still a big deal. Everyone lectured me about how dangerous this place could be. Not just falling, but encountering bears or other animals in the cave. Or carbon monoxide. It's been five years now, and ever since, I never admit that I still come here. Even though I do all the time. I'm more careful now. It's, it's a fall I don't want to make again, but this place means something to me. It's where I feel alive. My favorite thing to do out here is animal whispering. At least that's what I call it. I seem to have a way with animals. Sometimes I, I feel like they shouldn't be so trusting, but I guess I give off a trusting vibe. It's not just squirrels that dare to approach. When I offer up some crumbs, I can get rabbits to follow me and coax birds to come say hello. My holy grail moment was when an owl came over and perched a few feet in front of me. We had a brilliant conversation as I see it. Ah. Here comes my next visitor. A blue jay lands in a tree about 20 feet away. Hey there, Jay. I welcome him. I think it's important to vocalize a greeting. Quiet types are more foreboding, I believe. It's also important to be still, but not a statue. You have to let them know that you are comfortable and relaxed, but free of wild movements. I swing my feet ever so slightly and intentionally shift my head a bit every few moments. I search around for something to interest him. A couple of feet to my left... I spy a tiny, lone flower that found an ounce of soil between a couple of rocks. I slowly pick it up and cheerily narrate, Look at this, Jay. See what I found? It stares at me, head twitching from one angle to another. I don't really need it. You want to check it out? It hops over to another branch, all while checking me out. I think I've got him. Now for the moment of truth. It's okay. I'm different. After a moment of pleading eyes, I feign indifference, humming ever so slightly. It launches, swoops over with ease, and lands directly on my hand. I smile. At least animals can connect with me. It investigates the flower for a moment, then startles and flies off. Soon I hear why. Voices approach. Nick has the new kid, Fitch, in tow. Well, uh, new a couple of summers ago. He lives about a mile west of us if you go through the forest, but it's triple that distance by road. He and I never really got off to a great start. Nick lazily swings a stick at the brush as he trudges along. He spots me and waves. Hey, Kale. The blabbering, chubby oaf behind him is carrying a BB gun. Fitch sees me, and the way his shoulders sink and the gun droops lets me know that he was happier having Nick to himself. <laughs> Glad to ruin his day. Kooky Kale. Imagine finding you alone. He wisecracks. Come on, Fitch. Knock it off. 
Nick dismisses. I suspect he's been getting an earful from Fitch, has tired of the chatter and doesn't want him putting me off. Which is nice. Fitch isn't a mean kid like Justin. I think he's just desperate for some friends and has to impress others by making fun of something or someone. I don't mind spending a little time with him and Nick, but he wears you out. Hey, Nick. I cheerily greet him. Less enthused, I acknowledge. Fitch. Nick jumps on a boulder below my perch. Fitch boasts about their mission, puffing up his chest and gripping the BB gun confidently. We're gonna shoot a possum and leave it on the deck to scare Ellie. Ha! <laughs> well, that sounds awful. I can't imagine it ever being enjoyable to kill an animal. If I ever had to kill one, it would have to be for a good reason, not entertainment or sport. Good luck sneaking up on one, I deadpan. Nick laughs. They play dead, dumbass, rebuts Fitch. Want to join us? Nick asks me. I hesitate. Spending time with Nick and seeing Ellie would be nice, but possum murder doesn't interest me in the least. Nah, I got some stuff to do, I finally say. Yeah, probably a hot date with a microscope, Fitch teases to his solitary delight. Nick gives me a friendly yet disappointed nod, and with a little wave from his stick, he and Fitch head off deeper into the forest. Kale doesn't fucking deserve this. Is this really it? Am I really doing this? Fucking hell. I can't remember what normal pain is like. It's as if I'm a damn zombie. Someone could bust my jaw and I doubt I'd feel anything <laughs> but variety. Blinking, I realize that I am staring at a crease in the notice on the table, finding... Refuge in the sight of it as total emptiness consumes me. A once unscathed paper forever ravaged by a simple line, and then again by the crumpling and uncrumpling my hands wreaked upon it. I too feel damaged, used up, and spent on wretched purposes. We're garbage now, this eviction notice and I. Both of us. I know what I've got to do. And believe me, I know how wicked it is. I wonder if anyone else has ever reached this state of emptiness and self-loathing before, or if I'm the first. I can't stop the voice in my head from telling me I'm such a piece of crap. I'm a waste of the air and space I take up, a waste of the time and attention of people I meet, a waste of the water I drink. Or the water and the beer, anyway. Hell. I'm even a waste of the crappy-ass junk food I consume. I can't even properly provide a decent meal for the only person I care about, the only person keeping me above ground. It's finally come to this. There's no way out now. None. Not this time. I thought I had hit rock bottom plenty of times before, but this is truly it here and now. I have failed Kale flat-out failed my son. <sighs> Taking in a big gasp of air to get on with it, my lungs burn. Stirred, my eyes take final stock of the full eviction notice. It's dated 29 days ago, addressed to Russell Rhodes, addressed to me. The sheriff will be coming tomorrow. There's no more time. I know my life is over. It doesn't really matter what happens to me now. 
I don't know how long before I physically die, but I won't be alive after what I'm going to do. What I am about to do to Kale is the true death of me. The thought triggers my eyes to flood with tears, and I desperately clench up to squelch the sobs that want to resume. Damn, I hate crying. I don't fucking cry. I try to keep quiet. Kale's asleep in the next room. I can't face him. Not now. Shuddering, I leave the notice on the table and step outside into the night air. It's chilly, but I hardly feel it. The air is silent, except for my chokes and snorts as I furiously try to stop the sobs clutching my abdomen in a vice-like grip. The need to breathe stops the convulsive sobs. I take a deep and lung-stretching breath. I look upward at the inky night sky, focusing on a single star. I'm sorry, Maria, I say in words barely above a whisper. I scan the multitude of stars as they mock me with their twinkling hope. It should have been me, not you. You'd have been fine without me. Kale would have had a real parent who understood him. He wouldn't have had to suffer in the shadow of a damned drunk. It ain't even the alcohol, Maria. All the failing of sobriety in life has been about the unrelenting emptiness and sadness that controls me. I I've tried to fight it, tried to fill it, and tried to hide it. But I know he sees it. He's too smart for his own good. You'd be so fucking proud of him. My spirit died with you, Maria. I'm so sorry. I love Kale so much that I have to stop failing him. It has to end now. I have to get out of here and let death track me down. It's been stalking me with suggestions. It's been my most faithful companion for years. I imagine ways to end it every day, Maria. But the same thing always stops me. Kale. I couldn't do it to him. For him to find me? For him to have nobody? But let's face it. If all he has is me, then he already has no one. He would have been better off if I had died with you. Whoever adopted him would surely have done a better job than me. I love him too much to make him homeless. There aren't any shelters here, Maria. The church might feed us, but it'd be life under a bridge. No, that can't happen. Not to him. Not to our son. I go back inside and reach for the journal Kale left sitting out. Flipping through it, I can't help marvel at his genius. He'll forget more than I'll ever know. He needs someone else. Someone smarter, better for him. I can't ruin the Einstein of a generation. Reaching a blank page, I tear it out. I swallow, suddenly finding my mouth irritatingly dry. I need another drink. I grab the whiskey bottle. It was almost full a half hour ago, but only a quarter or so now, and I still don't have the courage. I, I take it to my lips and chug. Chug it all.
I grab the pen and go at it. Now or never. Dearest Kale. The road's a blurry mess. It's late as hell, so there's nothing to see anyway. What should I care about driving? About hitting someone? I'm too drunk. Drunk. Numb. <laughs> Drum. <laughs> That's funny. The amusement is stomped out by a jolt of gravity. I should go back. No. No, I can't. It's done. He's better without me. It's for the best. So now what, loser? Got a plan, moron? Where am I even going? Come on, death. Take me now. I grab my beer, chug the last half of it, and chuck the empty can onto the floorboard. Hey, there's that goddamn billboard. Now where is it? Where's the goddamn deer now? I spew at the windshield into the night. Take me like you took Maria. Let's get this over with. That damn deer should be here, right here. I yank the wheel, searching for it. Oops. The pickup goes all wild, launches off the road, drops like a roller coaster, and bam, slams into the ditch. The violence of it shocks me. I'm tossed brutally about the cab like a rag doll, rolling and slamming every which way. The pickup tumbles and slams end over end down the embankment toward a drainage pond. If this is the end, so be it. The world goes black. We hope you've enjoyed Cosmic Creatures, a Spark Media production. This program was directed and executive produced by H.G. Zeisler. Text copyright 2022 by Jason Kent Nord. Featuring the voice talents of Adam Adagnostu as Kale Rhodes, Mike Kelly as Russell Rhodes, John Yonker as Dr. Elliot Hagen, and Luke Langfeld as Major Roggy. Illustrations including cover and episode art by Meredith Tuvey. Sound design by Dan Steffens. Story edits by Emily Nord and H.G. Zeisler. A special thanks to our founding Spark storytellers. If you or someone you know is struggling, please remember that help is available. Reach out to your local mental health resources or consider contacting a helpline. In the United States, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 at 988. Your well-being matters, and seeking support is a sign of strength. Enjoyed what you heard? Check out more Spark stories and find out more about Spark Media on our website, sparkmedia.com. That's S-P-R-Q-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Spark Media. Links in episode notes. Interested in telling stories? Apply to be a Spark Storyteller today. Link in episode notes. Audio production copyright 2023 by Spark Media LLC. All rights reserved.